and drills it. Deep left field. That's a no-doubter. Three-run home run for Danny Jansen. And Toronto's in front, 5-1. to one. I feel like, you know, it hasn't really been the past couple weeks shown, but I feel like I, I hit the ball the other way uh, better when I have this mindset. I think that I've done that in the past. And then, uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, over the couple you know, years trying to, you know, find hits in every every part of the of the field instead of just kind of go to my strength and and uh, you know I guess you know having to pull power helps and, and just trying to do damage on that. All right, Kevin Barker. If I ask you which American League catcher has the most home runs, well, you'd know now because I told you the answer before we came on the air. Danny Jansen uh, at the end of last night's game, seven home runs, the most among. AL catchers. That was Danny Jansen after the game. It is Blair and Barker for June 2nd. Jeff Blair, Kevin Barker. Uh, the Blue Jays going for the sweep this afternoon. A 307 first pitch against the Chicago White Sox. 7-3 winners last night. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff to talk about. Some of it even good as the Jays have... <laughs> Most of it. The Jays have won seven consecutive. And um, as I mentioned, going for the sweep today. I know you, you came in, you were all loaded for bear about Danny Jansen. So let's start before we talk about Hyunjin Ryu and Vladdy Guerrero, who, you know, crushed that home run last night. And we'll talk about everything that led up to that. The Blue Jays catchers continue to get it done. Danny Jansen, Alejandro Kirk, both in the lineup at the same time. Um... I think we've talked about Danny enough and talked to Danny enough to know that he's, I think Kevin kind of figured out who he needs to be as a hitter for this team. It's more for well, this team to be well, successful. For me, it's, it's more what he has to be. It's, it's not what he he's thinking about trying to be. It's what he has to be. He's not a guy that's going to go line to line. He's not a guy that that's, can get a breaking ball that breaks middle away and, and stay inside that ball and hit that ball to right center. That's not him. Occasionally he'll do that because it's an accident. You know, I heard that little thing mm-hmm. he said there, like he goes the other way better. He must be watching a different game I'm watching because it's – He ain't going the other way. <laughs> he ain't trying to look to me like he's not trying to do now, that. Maybe, though, now, maybe, though, you know what, that uh, you, you being a hitter, maybe he's got that mindset, but – and and maybe that's helping him – do what he's doing. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's that's keeping the the barrel in the hitting zone a little bit longer. But that's not what I'm saying. You know, there, there's I can just remember whenever I used to talk to people who wanted to turn and burn. I wasn't one of those guys. I was I was a guy that wanted to get length to my swing, and I had a longer swing. Like I casted some guys who cast. Cast means the first move you make is the bottom hand goes. I was left-handed. Goes towards the shortstop first right. instead of that that top hand basically going by your, which would be my left ear. So you're driving that more down towards the second baseman instead of going, you know, casting towards the shortstop. So I, I wasn't a guy that could stand on top of the plate and turn and burn just because I didn't have good enough bat path. But you just think about this for a second. To be able to talk yourself into in 2021. Now that's basically when he started doing yep. this is when he got hurt, he got sent down. He didn't get sent down, but he went down for rehab. Right. He he just could take a step back and worry about himself. Like he knew now I have to be at 
both sides of the baseball. Mm-hmm. I just can't be a defensive game caller for Ryu. It's not going to keep me in the big leagues. I can't hit a buck and some change and no, think I'm going to be in the big leagues. It may not keep you in the big leagues much longer no, if your claim to fame is that you're Ryu's personal catcher. <laughs> may, well, that's well said. You know, Absolutely. Anyhow. So you're, you're thinking to yourself, how do you talk yourself into it? And that's exactly what it is. Now, it, you, you're facing a bunch of right-handed throwers who throw upwards of you know more than 95 miles an hour. And for you to have enough nerve to Scoot a little closer to that plate and try and turn and burn on some velocity from right-hand pitchers. Can't be the easiest thing to do. So that's the first thing you have to do is you're breaking this thing down and you're talking yourself into how do I do it? This is what I want to do. This is what's best for me. This is what's going to keep me in the big leagues for a very long time. But how do I talk myself into it? Mm-hmm. There has to be a little that. There has to be a little that, you know, mono e mono in the mirror. I've had a bunch of those days, Jeff, where I'm standing in front of the mirror going, you you can do it. Come on. talk." Just trying to talk to yourself. Funny, I never have that. those days. I have them all the time. So I, I did when I was a player a lot. I would take the dry swings, take my bat home, and do all those things that uh. struggling hitters do. They try and figure it out. He had that where you had to go through. I'm going to crowd the plate. I'm going to turn and burn. And now how do you do it? How do you break it down from the ground up? How do you rebuild it? And for me, you know, the the one little thing you, you've noticed is controlling the stride. A lot of people talk about, you know, if you're going to turn and burn, there can't be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. moves. There can't be all of that fruition. There can't be all that hand movement. Like it's velocity. Because if I'm a pitcher, and I see a dude standing around on top of the plate. What am I going to do to him? I'm going to speed him up. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him my best heater. So, you're hitting against that. All the little parts that you have with your swing have to be short and direct and with purpose. And you've noticed he's he's spread out a little bit more. Obviously, he's gotten a little closer to the plate. He's spread out a little bit more, which will con- control his stride. And what I mean by that is, is he don't have to make an effort to tell himself, don't overstride. Uh, don't 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 have to have a trigger to all the time so you're landing in the same spot now just because I'm a little wider I lift it up I sit it down it's basically in the same spot that's on purpose that's so you control it so now because of the velocity because of where I'm standing because I where I, where I want to hit the ball I can do that because my base is on time and it's better and it allows me to get in an athletic position and and then the bat plane the bat plane's a big deal because we've seen Danny Danny when he's struggling Bat straight up and down like it's straight up towards the sky. Now, if you're going to turn a burn guy, a lot of times what you do when your barrel is straight up and down because in an athletic position, when you do the rubber band thing and you have the separation from your front foot to your hands, what do you do with your barrel, Jeff? The barrel all of a sudden sort of that twist around your head, and what's that? That's a wasted motion. And when you're a one guy that's trying to get the – head out and turn and burn, that's a lot of wasted movement. That's movement that you have to try and make up. What are you going to be? You're going to be late. You're going to jam yourself. You're not going to do what you want to do. So what's he do? He starts the barrel straight back like he does, sort of like Vladdy looks. Almost eliminates. Absolutely. He eliminates that one little move of the barrel being straight up and down, and now I have to lay it back and then do my little separation to get the barrel going above my head. Now I eliminate that. Now, so all I do is he has a little roll where he starts his hands, and now when he gets his athletic position, it does it on its own. He's not telling it to do it, which is that's a move that he doesn't have to worry about. And now it's all about getting the barrel in plane. They talk about that all the time. Bo Bichette and Tausker Hernandez. Everybody says the exact same thing because of how hard they throw and how much they throw secondary pitches. Now it's bad on plane, right? It's almost like a it looks like a windmill. Mm-hmm. 
now he can do the windmill thing because it's not straight up and down. It's not that wasted movement. Now it's just a one-move thing where I'm dropping the back elbow, I get it on plane, and because of my mindset of I have the imaginary plate, which is the big deal when you're on a turn and burn, and I do say imaginary plates, you can imagine. Real plate? No, you know, there's a handful of people that are watching us on TV, but I have a piece of paper here that's the actual plate. So if I'm Danny Jansen, I'm not looking at the actual plate. That just tells me where I want to stand. Now I'm thinking, actually, I want to make contact on that imaginary plate that's out in front of the real plate. So that way my point of contact is out in front, and I can obviously have the ball go where I want it to go, and I can create backspin. And he hits the ball harder than most people. But I just think it's funny to watch him evolve. And those things don't have happen overnight. And you actually have to talk yourself into it. Talk yourself into standing on top of the plate and, and making these changes. They're simple changes. But when you're a guy who was hitting a buck and some change, and you know that the next time you come to the big leagues, it has to be quicker and you have to have results right out the gate for him to do these kind of things. It's pretty cool just to watch him do it and actually be able to go up with no batting gloves and stand right on top of the plate like that. It's it's, it's kind of cool to watch a guy like that because he's a nice dude. And I know me and you li really like the guy, and we're always going to stick up for him. But it was put up or shut up time for yeah. Danny. And for him to be actually go out and, and go to the minor leagues and when he was rehabbing and correct it and fix it and buy into it and actually come up and you're seeing the results, I mean, that's that's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, and, and if you're Danny Jansen too, look, I'm sure he – you know he 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 knows what the organization thinks of Gabriel Moreno. He, sure, he, he he's heard that. Um, of course, Alejandro Kirk. He knows what he is as a hitter. Yeah, I I think it's very. I I just think it's 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 funny how the discussion around the catching situation with this team just changes and 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 it, it changes in a positive way, right? Over the course of the year, it's gone from well, can Alejandro Kirk be an everyday catcher. I think we now know that Alejandro Kirk, if he gets in shape, is a little better, gets gets in shape a little more. You know, I I I think he's capable. Again, that's an if. I think maybe he's capable of being that. Now, maybe. But but what I'm saying is this discussion, it's all positive now. Now it's mm -hmm. okay, what do you do with Moreno? Do you, you you don't rush him up. You don't have to rush him up because both of these guys are hitting. And it's not only an area of strength, but it's also an area of intriguing possibilities down the road for the Blue Jays. You know, we've always just signed, kind of assumed that Alejandro Kirk is the guy that's going to be in the sure. trade block at some point. It's it, it's just it, it, it's really something to see the way this whole catching situation has materialized and how it's gone from being something that's intriguing to a real strength with the team. It so is. It's a real strength. You, you mentioned the conditioning with Alejandro Kirk. I'm not real sure we're ever going to see that. You don't know why I don't believe that. The people that I've talked to said they've, they've obviously brought it to his attention that, you know, you, you might be a little bigger. You need to tone that up a little bit and, and make it a little better. His words were, I think I hit better bigger. So what you're saying is he is what he is. I, I would be shocked. If all of a sudden he shows up and he's lost 45 pounds. I don't know, 40, yeah, 40. Uh, whatever, whatever yeah. the number is, 35 pounds, 25 right. pounds, 15 pounds, just something to that would allow him to, you know, condition-wise be better at squatting behind the plate, throwing, mental grind, physical so what's your grind. Best thing is, what you're saying is maybe we just shouldn't overthink it. This is Absolutely. what it is. Absolutely. This is what it is. It's working. Uh, let's don't ride with it. Boat. Don't rock the boat. I'm... 
I'm a big fan of letting Gabriel Moreno spend as much time as he can in AAA and learn all that stuff as opposed to to having to bring him up. And and the biggest thing about this is um, I, when when Gabriel Moreno comes up, I want him. I understand nothing's guaranteed, but I want him to be good enough that there is legitimate chance that he comes up and stays up and I want him to join this team when it's good and he's going well. I don't want him to have to be the savior. I want him to be another piece in a real good team. Let's be honest though, if you the things that you need if you're Ross Atkins, left-handed hitter, uh, a swing and miss guy out of the bullpen, maybe a legit starter. Yeah, we're going to have that discussion. Thing. If I'm a if I'm an opposing team, I got to be honest with you. If I'm wanting somebody besides some guys maybe in that at the minor league level, the first guy I'm going to ask for is Kirk. Just the bat the ball skills, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that he can do because of the DH in the National League that opens up both sides, the entire you know uh, big league yeah, level does. now that you could make some moves that way, uh, right? It's they're, the they're the tough decisions that are about to come with the Blue Jays organization because it's, they're in win mode now. They're twenty, and the first guy that's going to come to. Yeah. To name is Kerr. It's it's no longer Lourdes. Lourdes, for me, if I'm an opposing GM, he has too many valleys. Like, there's too many. Like, sometimes the peaks are really good, and it lasts week, 10 games, something like that. There's a lot of valleys. Lourdes. Like, there's a lot of long arm out and around. You can get him out. I think Lourdes' best tool might be his contract. There you go. And that's, that's to be honest. Is, what's that? What would that get you? I mean, I. You know, you could sit there. We can draw up all sorts of, of fantasy, of fantasy packages. But uh, in the meantime, uh, the Jays are nine games over 500 for the first time this year. They're ten four and two in series play. They've gone undefeated over the last five series. Doesn't matter what happens today. Of course, uh, they will win the series. They will go for the sweep with Alec Manoa on the mound against Johnny Cueto. That should be a lot of fun. That should be an interesting pitching matchup. Jason Benendi, Dan Schulman. Liam Hendricks also scheduled to uh, join us later on in the show. All right, let's talk about Hyunjin Ryu. Four innings yesterday, uh, a couple of injury situations of note or personnel situations of note for the Blue Jays. George Springer did not play yesterday. He has a non-COVID-related illness. Santiago Espinal let off and, of course, homered in the second pitch he saw off Michael Kopech, who hadn't given up a home run this year. Anyway. You know it's coming. Yeah, exactly. It was. Uh, it makes sense. Charlie, Charlie's a genius. He putting is. Espinel Best in the lead, manager in baseball. Putting Espinel in the leadoff spot. Um, we mentioned Danny Jansen hit hit his three-run home run. Vladdy gets his home run. We will talk about Vladdy in a minute, but we have to talk about Hyunjin, Hyunjin Ryu. Four innings pitched, four hits, three runs, two earned, four strikeouts. The Jays, Kevin, my sense is the Jays kind of knew early that he was that he had forearm tightness. We know that after his last start, he talked about elbow issues, elbow tightness. Mm -hmm. Now, leaves with forearm tightness. Thank goodness the bullpen was able to piece this game together. Again, shout out Ross Stripling and David Phelps, man. I, I, you know, we don't talk about them enough, but shout out to those two guys Mm -hmm. for the work that they did. I mean, look, Kevin, uh, Hyunjin Ryu's contract is what it is. I think we have to put the contract aside and just ask a very simple question with Hyunjin Ryu. Um, can you trust him right now? Like what, are you at the point, and I know you brought it up, are you at the point where in addition to the 15 other things you need to do mm-hmm. to get through the postseason? Well, there's two, actually. But are you seriously thinking 
of adding another starting arm here. I, I am. I like I this there's no question. Like the 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 issues that you have, we mentioned Kirk, but would you trade him for a Frankie Montas, Luis Castillo? Like these are these are arms. Like these could help hide some some of the woes out of your bullpen because you wouldn't have to use that as much. You could use more of your high leverage guys. But let me and, just jump in here. Let's because people say that. But let's let's examine that. Frankie Montas, or pick any starting, a good mm-hmm. starting pitcher, Luis Castillo. Given the way this team manages its pitchers, you're probably looking, you want guys to give you seven innings a night. So three extra innings every fifth day. Mm-hmm. I guess that helps your bullpen a bit. I'm not certain that it necessarily has the type what? of, uh, the, the, the type of impact that is going to be shown on, on, on an every, you know, on every day. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Does it make Trevor Richards any better? Does it make Adam Silver no, but I, any better? I'll say this. It would make it to where they wouldn't have to use those guys two days in a row, three days in a row. Sometimes I know they don't like doing that. They hate doing that. Basically, the three days in a row, they'll do it if they have to do it. They don't want to do it. Maybe it would hide that. I'm not saying that's a perfect case scenario because for me, and I'm going to say this out loud, I think Vladdy getting hot would hide a bunch of that. Vladdy's starting to get the foot down, having more confidence, getting his swagger back. They're separating by hitting three-run homers. Uh, getting bigger leads would allow Pete Walker, Charlie Montoyo, to maybe let the starter go an extra two or three batters and not have to use a certain guy. But that's, that's just me. Okay. The way I watch the games every single day, I'm thinking you, you put it on your everyday players. You know, stop blaming Charlie for how many times he uses their bullpen. This is what they have to do. This is why they're nine nine games above 500 is because their bullpen's been really good. Now, can they do this all year? Probably not. This is my point here is, you know, we may find out how good Ross is. He might be one of the MVPs of the season. This is this is what you sort of have to do when when chinks in the armor start happening. What do you do to fix it? What do you, how do you make up for it? And I'm going to go with the obvious ones. Teoscar Hernandez getting hot. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. getting hot. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would help a ton. Because now, because when they got those guys come up, they can add separation to games, meaning they're not one-run games as much. If You know, the, the, the first game of the series, if Vladdy would have had a good game, that's a blowout. Yeah. That's not a one-run win. That's a blowout. And now, all of a sudden, you don't have to use guys that you don't want to use in those spots. That's my point is, you know, you you, you hope that can happen. But what do you do? How do you do it? Like, do you feel that comfortable, Ross Ripling, making some quality start after quality start? I'm not sure about that. I have confidence in him. I really like I like Ross Stripling where he is right now. I sort of do, too. The hybrid guy that will fill in the blanks wherever you need it. Yeah. That's a lot to ask him. You know, the change, I will say this, Jeff, I don't know about you. He has a lot of confidence in the changeup. If he doesn't have the changeup, is he any good? I was watching him when I was watching him last night. I was thinking to myself, man, and I watched him when he came up with the bases loaded and he threw the, he threw a curveball to a left-handed here, curveball, two changeups. When's the last time we'd ever see a guy of his stature that throws 93 miles an hour that with the bases loaded against a lefty would have enough confidence to to throw. throw it? What if he doesn't have it? He's got it right now because mechanics, he can repeat it over. He's found the confidence in both of those things to be able to have the arm speed and the release point on the changeup. But what if he don't have it? And there'll be a time where it just it's not there. But That's he, the, here's the question then. Uh, and you know, we'll have this discussion with Dan Shulman as well. 
if you had to rank the three needs in your mind for the Blue Jays right now, what would there are three of them: lefty hitter, swing and miss stuff, starting pitcher. How would you rank them? Vladdy getting hot, Teoscar getting hot. <laughs> That's not an option. No, those aren't the. Well, that's not, I you get aren't the options. I think they're complicated. This, this, this Three's very, enough. We think this of is threes. Very, this is very hard question to answer because my my first thought is yeah, the, I keep the Rays keep rolling around in, in between my ears. And I'm thinking, but how do they win all the time? Pitching and defense, pitching and defense, different arm angles, uh, velocity, swing and miss stuff. So the obvious answer to that would be pitching, some form of pitching, whether that's a starter whether that's a, a couple of bullpen veteran guys, David Robertson, one of those guys who, if he stays healthy, can add and subtract, can elevate, can pitch to your weakness. That's sort of the David Phelps way, way if you do a guy like that. But on the flip side of it, there's going to be times here when the when it gets hotter, hitters start to figure things out. You'd like to outbop people. Every once in a while, you just like to win some 10-4 to four games. And that gets sort of back around to, can you find a left-handed hitter that's really good? I don't know if those grows on trees or not, though. I mean, I, um, the way I look at it is my initial I, – I think you can get a left-handed I – mean, the team's nine games over 500 and two of its best players aren't hitting. And those two players are going to be in the lineup every day. Mm-hmm. So the left-handed hitter is not replacing Vladdy or, or, or Teoscar. Um, maybe, essentially, you're asking a guy to come in and, and – well, right now you're asking a guy to come in and platoon with – with, with Lourdes or, or a guy to play left field for you because center field's fine. You know, go around the diamond. It's fine. You're not, you don't, you're not doing anything with your catchers. I really think that the, the priority right now has to be the bullpen. And then I would go lefty hitter. And then I would go maybe pick up a starting pitcher at the deadline and you know, whatever I have to give up to get that guy. To me, he's got to be better than Hyunjin Ryu right now. Uh, I don't need to go out and make a deal where I get a Barrios caliber start or anything like that. But I, I just think the bullpen has to be addressed. Uh, the bullpen has to be addressed right away. And I'm willing to bet that if you talk to the Jays, that that's the area of focus. And I also think it's one that's probably easiest to address because that's where your analytics people can really do a deep dive is, 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 is in the bullpen. Mm. I'll take your word for the easy part. I, 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 it was I, last year. To, at Last year, Trevor Richards and Adam Simber. We looked at those trades. We found, okay, well, they're arms. They're better than what they have. How the hell would they have been last year without those two dudes? That's, those, those are the type of deals that... But you're looking for a specific thing out of the arm that you're bringing in right. here. It's not about just throwing strikes and, and getting weak contact. It's about swing and miss stuff. But, but what I'm saying is you can... You can look and shop around and call teams that are out of the playoffs. Every team that's out of the playoffs right now, they've got somebody in the bullpen that could help the Jays. You go around. Every team that is either out of the playoffs or we know isn't in the playoffs, there's at least one or two arms in every one of those bullpen that would help the Jays. So that's what I'm saying. I think it's easier. I think it's easier to get that deal done. I think it's easier to get it done early. I'm with you. At some point, yes, they do have to add another left-handed bat. I think that's primarily for the postseason. But and and then the starting pitcher to me would to me would be a luxury. Having said that, yeah, you know, I, I don't pretend to know right now what they would do if Ryu is out for a long time. You know, do do you 
Nate Pearson gets built up to do three or four innings. Do you have Nate Pearson and Ross Stripling sort of tag teaming Thomas Hatch? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But I, the more I watch what Ross Stripling has given me the past three weeks, the past month, I just kind of like that, that Swiss Army knife. And yeah. you know, and I and I keep him in that role until he shows me. What they got to be it. careful with is that guy that you're trying to fill in the blank with doesn't kill their bullpen. That that that's the yeah. one thing is because you know as well as anybody, if you get Thomas Hatches of the world coming up and throwing, and he goes two and a third, and you got to use guys, and you're using four or five in that start, well, that kills those guys for when it matters the most yep. and highest leverage. So that's what you got to be careful about. Vladdy homered last night, a two-run shot to dead center field. It was a game where Bo Bichette walked for three times, the first time that's happened in his career, and that's not an accident, considering the 3-1 slider that he saw with Vladdy on deck. Having said that, Vladdy hit that 414-foot homer. It was 111 miles an hour, made good contact. There was a funny play a couple of innings before play at first base where Vladdy beats a throw. It goes to review and it's a long review and it's close. And I watched it, the replay three or four times and I changed my mind three or four times. Anyhow, the call in the field is upheld and Vladdy does the whole little puts his hands together, you know, thank you, God. And I said in Blue Jays talk yesterday, it reminded me the last time I, I I've seen a, I saw a Jays player do that as as pronounced was Russ Martin in that playoff game, right? When he had the, the, the when he was threw the ball back to the mound and all that stuff happened with Dale Scott, the home plate umpire and mm-hmm. Jose Batista saves his ass. And there's a great shot of, of Russ going like mm-hmm. that. You made a funny point when we came on the air, he said, and you told me, what do you think Vladdy's last at bat would have been like had that play been overturned sure. and he'd been called out? Sure. I know what I struggled. The, the, you're always thinking the worst and you could hit, you could read Vladdy's lips. I'm out. Yes, he was, watching, he, was, he was watching the scoreboard. He said, he said you but can I'm, read his I'm, out. I'm out. I'm yeah. out. And and just sometimes I said this after the game too. It's not always how hard you hit; it's where you hit it. And mm-hmm. that that's sort of just one of those plays that I I then I why I said how his last at bat would have looked is one for four and zero oh for four when you're struggling Ooh. is a giant difference. Like that that just takes a lot of pressure off your last at bat. Now you're not up there trying to hunt hits, and Vladdy is hunting hits. Mm-hmm. It's you're a hu- he's a human being who's expected to carry Canada to a World Series. End of story. Period. And when you're not doing it, and you're not getting it done, and it looks sort of like it's looking where you're doing all those things and saying, "Thanking God that you're just getting infield singles." So my next bat, I got a chance of going back Lake City, and I just I because you know again every player every hitter who has been through that and you're going to go through it, it goes through what Vladdy's going through right now. It's just it's it's I, we can't explain it. I can't explain it. How how you feel when it actually happens? Something good happens to you because you can read his lips. I'm out. Yeah, that, like I said, I'm I'm I expect the worst because it's been happening to me. There's no no way they're not going to well, keep this the way it's. It was called. So. Listen, that 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 second at bat he has against Kopech, um, you know, gets an 81 mile an hour curve, gets a four seamer, gets another curve, fouls off a four seamer, gets another curve, s- swings at a, at a 97 mile an hour four seamer. I mean, Vladdy just he, a non-competitive at bat just carved him up. It was I mean, it, overmatched. 
Yes, he I was. hate to say it that way, but I said this. And, again, it gets to when you're struggling, and I've said this to you before, that's why they have levels at the minor leagues, and that's why they want hitters to go through it, at least really good ones, so they understand what to go to that worked when they were struggling. Mm-hmm. You ever remember Vladdy struggling at the minor leagues? Not no, that we would. There's no chance yeah. that he would know when he go. he's two for 40 or whatever it was he was, how to go, what to go to to fix it and make it better but good for him to get a homer. The third and final game of this series goes this afternoon at 3.07 at the Rogers Center. That will be time of the first pitch. You can watch it in Sportsnet, and, of course, you can catch it right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Jason Benetti, is the White Sox play-by-play voice on NBC Sports in Chicago. Jason Benetti joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Jays will go for the sweep this afternoon against the Chicago White Sox. 307 first pitch, Alec Manoa against Johnny Cueto. The uh, Sox looked a little more like the Sox yesterday with Lewis Robert back in the lineup and uh, Ron Moncada coming off the bench, the bench and uh, pinch hitting. Still no Tim Anderson, though. And, uh, man, he, Tim Anderson was around the cage during BP yesterday. He was in the dugout. He, he was in the dugout when I got out to walk across the field to go over to the J side of the dugout. You know how you, when you see a guy who's injured and you just know that it's eating him up, mm-hmm. you can tell that, uh, that it's eating him up. That's really the impression I got. I got with Tim Anderson. Hard to be happy when you're yeah. hurt and your team's not doing so well. No, no. Um, let's bring in Jason Benetti. He's a Chicago White Sox play-by-play voice. Jason, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself. I just telling him a little bit. I, I noticed Tim Anderson being pretty noticeable the past couple of days. Um, he, it's funny because Tony Larusa talked before the first game of the series about you know while we can replace our leadoff hitter, we can have Grandel leading off. The AJ Pollock led off yesterday. But he said, we can't replace the fact that he's our igniter. And when you look at this lineup, and it is a good lineup, it really does stick out how important he is to this team, doesn't it? It, it does. I mean, he every uh, couple weeks, it seems like Tim Anderson does something to pull the team out of an issue. And Tony Larusa actually, it was about a month and a half ago, a few weeks into the season, he went up to Tim when this team was struggling and they were like one in 10 and 11 games. And he said, we need you today. We need your energy today. And Tim provides that anyway, but he's the guy that everybody kind of taps into. And it was interesting for me too, to watch him on the bench yesterday. There was Mm -hmm. a, there was that broken bat single Abreu had and Josh Harrison was just messing around, like trying to put the bat back together because he was sitting yesterday as well. And then Tim took it and taped it up completely and fixed the bat. And I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's pretty metaphorical right there. My gosh. Like he, <laughs> he's like, let me, let me fix this. And you're like, can, but you know, can you fix the energy situation? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I can help. I can help in some way. I can maybe give it the magic touch. It'll, it'll heal and, and everything, 
everything will turn out. Um, this team is 23, 20, and 25, Jason. And, you know, like a lot of people, I looked at the start of the season. I, I will admit, I thought the White Sox were, I wouldn't say they were necessarily going to gallop to, to, to the division title because I did kind of like some of the things I saw the Twins doing. But um, is, is it? Is it enough just simply to, to look at this record and go, this is because of injuries? Does that explain everything? That's, that's a big part of it. I also do think, to your point, Jeff, I think the Twins are just better this year. I think part of the reason, not the reason the White Sox won the division last year, because I think this was the best team in the division last year, but part of the reason they got off to the hot start they got off to and they expanded the lead against the division is because the Twins had a major down year. And I think actually, you know, you can look at Minnesota and what they've done this year. And in part, they are in first place where they are because the White Sox have had a down start mm-hmm. to the season. So with the scale on one side, the other team goes up. You know, I, it's, it's one of those situations where what the other team is doing is really material because these, I, I believe these are the two best teams in the American League Central. But this White Sox team, if they get Lance Lynn back in a couple weeks and Eloy Jimenez was back in the lineup last night with Triple A Charlotte uh, trying to rehab from the hamstring injury. And now you have Robert back. If you can get Moncada going, these ifs, ands, and buts, there's still time for that. But in 40 games, when they've played 90 or 80, uh, then you run out of time for that sort of thing. So I think this is a crucial stretch of three weeks or so getting everybody back, including Anderson at the back end of that. And then hopefully Moncada kickstarted. And then suddenly you say, okay, what do we actually have here? Jason, whenever I watch Osmani uh, Grandal lead off the other day, I, I was thinking to myself, I, uh, what exactly do they want from him offensively? And I don't know if I have an answer for that. Do you know what they want from him offensively? Is it, Trying to get on base, is it trying to overswing it at homers? What what do you think the the goal for him would be throughout the season offensively? Kevin, I, that is an awesome question. And I don't know that sometimes he knows the answer <laughs> yeah. to that. Yeah. Tr- truly, truly. Because what you're pulling out of that to ask that question is, he's a leadoff hitter. And then last year he was like a 23% walk rate guy. He was mm-hmm. walking all the time. But he wasn't a leadoff hitter then, even when Anderson was out. And then he's the five hitter sometimes, and is he driving in runs? And I, I kind of think he gets caught in between sometimes, too, because his on-base percentage was ridiculously good last year. Mm-hmm. And then he started killing the ball in August. And I, it seems to me he's totally in between on the answer to your question right now, and that might very much be the issue. Jason, I got to ask you. I think he's hitting a buck sixty and some change. I don't know the exact number, but I'm close to somewhere around there. How do they sell that to him? Like, you know, the the, the analytics today is you you mentioned the on base and the hard hit percentage, and you know they're trying to sell that a little bit to Matt Chapman here. Don't worry about the average. Worry about how many times you're hitting the ball hard. I used to try and hit Jason. You know, you look up at the scoreboard; it's still buck sixty. Buck sixty will always be a buck sixty. How do the White Sox sell that to him to say, don't pay attention to that? Well, I, I saw you in 2005 hit homers off scoreboards in the International League, so I, I know how you roll. Uh, my my thing is, I think Yasmani, if you know him at, like, do you, have you ever talked to him? Do you know him at all, like, a little bit, like, in your travels? Have you ever run into him? I have not, no. I've listened to him he, talk on he's TV. An interest, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, even that. Like, he's an interesting guy, and he mm-hmm. kind of marches to the beat of his own drum. Mm-hmm. And I think last year he was really himself taking a lot of pitches. I think that's what he is at the core is like, let me get a really good pitch to hit, and I will pound it. And I think this year he's given that away a little bit while also teams are just throwing him more strikes right now. And so he's not able to be as patient as he's wanted to. And so I think it's kind of selling it to himself. Stay where you are, get on base, and then make things happen from there. I think it's more an internal thing with him. But I also think when you're kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth of where he is, what he should be doing, I think that can create a little bit in a hitter's mind, right? Sure. Uh, Johnny Cueto gets a start today for the White Sox. Uh, you know, we, we remember Johnny Cueto here from a couple of important games when he was with Kansas City. And, and I mean, I love watching Johnny Cueto pitch. I, I, I like what I see when he's on the mound. I find it hugely entertaining. But he's been good for you guys, too, hasn't he? Yeah, same, same deal as usual with Johnny Cueto. Like he's going he's gonna to mess with timing. There's that Louis Tiant factor there. Like he'll turn it back to you and he'll hesitate on the leg kick and he'll do all that stuff. But he, you know, like flat out, he's throwing strikes. Yeah. Like he's, you saw this team walk eight Blue Jays yesterday. Johnny Cueto's throwing strikes. And Tony LaRusa feels confident enough in him to have him be the first Sox pitcher to face a lineup four times through the other day. And, you know, A.J. Pierzynski was doing the game for Fox, and he was he was critical of that uh, because he felt like there were some lasers getting hit in the seventh inning. And I don't disagree that, that he was getting hit pretty hard at that point. But I think the reason I bring it up is because it shows Tony LaRusso's belief in Cueto already as a guy who's just up from AAA for a handful of starts to be that kind of guy who can – stop up innings for a bullpen that's been pretty well taxed. Like, I think you guys both know what it's like, especially with the Blue Jays this year, when you don't play a lot of blowout games, when you're not blowing people out, and the White Sox just haven't done that, everybody who's high leverage in your bullpen feels like they're pitching every day. Mm-hmm. Jason, you've, done, you've called some games for, for other teams on Peacock and, and things like that. This is a league question. Uh, you know, the, the Major League Baseball has made a, an effort to make the game easier to watch. And you being a guy that calls games, I, I, I want to get you, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, do you think the game's easier to watch? Have they done a good job of, like, pitch calm and, and just making the game an, an, an easier watch for younger people? It's interesting. I, I like pitch calm. Mm-hmm. I think it speeds up the situation with runners at second, and I think it takes away that piece of it for the most part. I do think I was not here before. Like, I'm, I'm 38 and I wear glasses, so I'm supposed to be a millennial analytics guy and not like anything that's traditional. <laughs> but I'm not that way. I, I, like, I, I immediately, when I heard pitch clock, I thought, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to like the pitch clock. I don't know if I'm going to like the, you know, if you want to call it a hitter clock to get in the box. I don't know if I'm going to like that. I'm telling you, I have friends who still do minor league baseball and games are coming in at 220 and 230 and there's a pace to them that I think is really going to help the game. I really do. I still think we had a, we had a nine inning game against the Red Sox that was 402. Yeah. And I just think, you know, this is sort of a cultural issue in the States and, and I think across the globe with social media, but like 
nobody's reading books anyway at this point at, at the same rate that they used to. Attention spans are getting shorter. I don't know how much shorter they can get. It's not like baseball is going to make the game five innings, but I do think the pitch clock is going to help baseball come into a scenario where when you watch a baseball game, it's going to feel like watching a good tight movie instead of watching like Ben Hur or something like that. I th- I think it will help the feeling when you leave the ballpark that you didn't have to go work at something. You just watched a really quick paced thing. I, I really do. I was not there at first, but with the research baseball has done and some of the stuff I've seen in the minor leagues, I do like that clock and I hope it shows up next year. Like we expect it to. And Jason, I don't know if the commissioner's office would admit this or not, but I think, and I didn't think this at the time, I think introducing pitch com, before you introduce the, the pitch clock was genius because I've been, I, I, I understand it varies from team to team, but by and large, Jason, I've been stunned at how little bitching there was about <laughs> pitch calm in spring mm-hmm. training, how open mm-hmm. guys were to using it, how, you know, the Jays had an instance where something went wrong uh, technically and the guys in the bullpen, they were getting, you know, they were wearing it. Trevor and, Richards. Yeah, Trevor Richards was hearing Danny Jansen's <laughs> signals to Adam Simber out on the field or something like this. Yeah. But everybody, you know, it was like everybody kind of laughed about it. And now, you know, we, we watched the Houston Astros come to town. Martin Maldonado's using the thing like a, you know, like a clicker on the TV, right? He's clicking between his legs and then he puts it in his. Yeah. And I think that's good because I think it's kind of, it's gotten guys thinking that not, not everything new is going to be really bad. And I think that's important. That's a, that's a great point, actually. Like, I think once you ease people in, you do sort of get that entryway. I, that's a really good point. I've not heard that, but I, I do believe that's right. I, I think the next wave of Pitchcom, have you heard Pitchcom? Like, have you heard what it sounds like? I have not. So it's basically a robotic voice that's like curveball, down and away sort of thing. Uh, now, it's my understanding that you can put any voice on Pitchcom that uh, you would like. Right. So my feeling is the next frontier is celebrity Pitchcom or like have your kids do Pitchcom, <laughs> right? So like, daddy, throw a fastball. Like that sort of thing. That's awesome. Yeah. That... For that to happen. And I think that would really spite, like, let's have a little more unique in it. And if we're not going to have the big, like brash personalities or whatever it is, have, have celebrities or have your kids do Pitchcom. I could see, uh, you know, maybe have Tom Cruise, maybe give everybody a Top nickname Gun. from Top Gun yeah, and, uh, you know, Ghost Rider, 3-2 fastball or something like that. I, uh, yeah. You know, I know the Phillies, apparently, I don't know if you knew this, the Phillies have, had JT Real Muto's voice. They, they had him do all the stuff. So the, the, the pitchers are hearing JT Real Muto's uh, voice in their in Jason, their head. I, I got to say this. I, I, have asked, I have asked Pete, Pete Walker, is it your voice on there? And his answer was, they're tired of hearing me yell at him already. <laughs> they don't want to hear me anymore. So I did get the answer for that. Last one before we let you go. Tony La Russa, I, I, we've never really asked anybody how he is to cover on an everyday basis. And I want to ask, is he different? It's sort of that even keel thing. You know, you, you, we, we talk to Charlie Montoya a lot. He tries to stay that same all the time, no matter what. Is Tony that way, or is he hard to cover when things are going bad? No, Tony, just, I mean, he's not hard to cover. Tony, Tony's done this for, for so long, and I don't mean that, like, flippantly. He's not, he's not hard to cover. I would say he just really hates losing. 
like really truly mm-hmm. hates losing. They lose. He still takes it really hard. And a person, I like that competitively. I just don't know that I could do that for my entire life. Yeah. Like 35 years of waking up and feeling bad or good based on winning or losing, that just seems everybody I've talked to that's gotten off the field and come into the booth or into the media is like, the best part of this is we don't lose. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it takes a I, – I thought about that. I was listening to listening to him do his pregame media availability uh, before the first game. I think, my goodness, how many times has this guy, has this guy done this? <laughs> You know, and and um, and and then how many times he had to do it after a loss, and how many times he had to do it after a win, and and I'm kind of with you. I uh, boy, you've got you got to be a whatever people think about you. You have to have a certain inner belief to do that. You just do. Yeah, I mean, there's there's ego that you have to have to play the game in the first place, right? Like yeah. you got to feel like I'm better than that guy on the mound. I'm better than that guy at the plate. Like. I, I can figure this out over 162 games to manage for 35 years. Like I, you, you have to really, I, I would say love it, but I don't even know if it's that, like, I think you have to live it and kind of have it in your veins, which to me is just so far beyond comprehension of why you would, after doing it 10 years before sign up for it again. Yeah. Jason, really good of you to do this today. Great Thanks so stuff. much, my friend. Be well. Thanks Jason. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. It's Jason Benetti, Chicago White Sox play-by-play voice, and uh, also for Peacock Sports. And he really is. We got him and we got Shulman back-to-back. So that's, that's awesome. like, that. that's a pretty good one-two. That's not bad. One-two punch for play-by-play. Guys, so there you go. So Benetti actually just gave us further proof about your home run prowess. That may be something we can play on Barker's back leg bits. I remember you hitting a ball off the scoreboard in Charlotte. Yeah, it happened. Oh, I'd rather be doing that in the big leagues. Oh, come you on. Make more money. You make more money doing that in the show than you do going back Lake City and AAA. People remembered it, though. Yeah, I mean, I, that's just because I was around too long in AAA. That's, that's why, That's why. you know, that's why Ben Wagner remembered me. When he, when he was in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. in Buffalo. Okay. Oh, yeah, I remember you. All right, you. there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, I was trying yeah. to, uh, you know, yeah. I was trying to give you a dig me segment. And, I, I'm not good. I'm not good at those. No, you're not. No, no, no J- not. Jason's the best. I, I can remember him being on the field and, and showing. Yeah, he's a he solid, is, he, solid he's dude. A, he's a great dude. He's really good at what he does. And I, I just think, you know, sometimes I think when you're around older managers yeah. who have, you know, been winning and, and know how that is, and then you go through seasons like he's going through right now where just nothing's going right, everybody's getting hurt, and yeah. now they lost their best player. It just seems like nothing's going wrong. You can see the when the camera pans over to him, you can just see it on his face. He's like, ah, here we go again. Oh, he... <laughs> You can tell he's not taking it too well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, look, I just, I have a, I have a lot of time for guys who can, who can do that job for a prolonged period of time, you know, whether, as I said, whatever may people, people may think about them personally or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's to be questioned every day, basically about That's what you point. do to be questioned every day and have to, and, and be rated every day. <laughs> have signs in the outfield with, yeah. even when you're winning. <laughs> We got to talk about that. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, I don't either. I thought when, I, when Barker and I were talking about, there was a sign of left field last night that said Schneider for Skipper. And my first reaction, I sent Barker a text. I said, Schneider's family here? <laughs> and then, of course, after pointing it out, 
what happens? Danny Jansen hits a home run sure. right over the sign. And I'm like, oh, God. I mean, Everybody I know. got to see it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Tough crowd, but Jesus, God, people. Yeah, that's a tough take there. God. That's that's a tough one. I mean. I mean, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Nine games Snyder. over I'm, 500. I'm with him, but, you know, the team's starting to look. It's like maybe a little like the team's supposed to look. <laughs> They're that's, winning. They're in a winning streak. That's tough. Anyhow. Um, hey. You bought a ticket. Fans you, can, fans. you can write what you want to write Absolutely. On, a, on a board. As long as it's uh, as long as it's kept clean. But there that certainly did get my attention because uh, <laughs> I was sitting right next to it and I kind of looked over. I was actually looking into the bullpen as he was up and going, "What? What?" See, it's an old writer's thing. When you go to a ballpark or any stadium and there are signs, first thing you look for, always look at the signs, always because there's a possible lead in every sign. Hmm. For your game story, there's a possible lead in every sign. Are you going to write a story about that? No, but I mean, you never know. It comes, you know, what What if, I don't know, what if, what if Charlie gets tossed, Schneider takes over the game, the Jays win or something like that, then you go, you know, boy, the, I mean, there's, yeah, there's ways. that's happened already. You can, you can, <laughs> you can spin it. Sure. Every now and then, every now and sure. then, you know, don't be afraid to, to take the easy, take the easy lead if it falls right in front of you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, you got it. It's an interesting sign for sure. I mean. Yeah, it's uh, there are things I did not expect to see at the ballpark this year. That's number one right now. That's number one right now. The next thing would be a complete game. Don't expect to see that this year. Dan Shulman is the Blue Jays play-by-play voice on Sportsnet. Dan Shulman joins us next. Liam Hendricks, White Sox closer, friend of the show. He'll be along later on schedule permitting. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.